Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. All right. Good morning, Grantham Church. Glad you could be with us here in worship. This is uh, part five of a six-part sermon series called We Are Disciples. Uh, in our highly compartmentalized lives, this is what we've been saying about this series, it, that it can be easy to think about discipleship as something that happens only when we're in the church building, but according to the New Testament, discipleship happens as we are knowing and following Jesus with other disciples wherever we go. So being a disciple begins with knowing who we are in Christ, and this new identity is to be discovered and lived out in every area of life. So what does that look like? What does it look like for the gospel to penetrate every area of our life and to be a disciple? That's what we've been addressing in this series by unpacking Grantham Church's definition of disciples. And here it is. Disciples are people in community empowered by the Holy Spirit who are growing to love, follow, and lead others to the God who looks like Jesus. And this morning we're going to be looking at the last part of that definition, growing to lead others to the God who looks like Jesus. Would you pray with me again? Father, we, just, uh, we give this time to you. We, we open up our hearts and our minds to you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you uh, connect dots? Would you free us, Lord, up to, to receive your love and to follow you, to obey you, to submit to your will? And Lord, as we move through this message, would you open up our, our, our minds to the people that you have put in our sphere of influence that need to hear about Jesus? For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 1. We're going to begin with verse 35 and go through verse 51. This morning as I read, I'll just make a, a few comments here or there just to help understand what we're, what we're reading, what's going on in this passage Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Behold, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he said, what do you want? In the Greek there, that is, what do you desire? What, what do you really want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, 
was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And then Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him. He said, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, the anointed one. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Kephas, which means Peter in Aramaic. Verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida and Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went to look for Nathanael. And told him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip replied, and look, notice it's the same words that Jesus used. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Philip replied, as they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Nathanael asked, how do you know me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. And Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's sum up what we've, what we've read, including what came before it there in John chapter 1. And let's begin to see how this uh, sets up up the foundation for the message today. At the beginning of of John chapter 1 there, you'll you'll read those famous words, in the beginning was the word, right? Jesus is the logos. That has meaning in Greek, this this, uh, word that oversees all of creation. This word that that stands behind it is reason, And and of course in the Hebrew is the Word of God. Jesus is the Logos made flesh. We can read that in John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. We also see that John tells us God has been fully revealed in Jesus and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Just look at that in John 1 verse 17 and 18. It says, for the law was given through Moses But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And as we read the words of John the Baptist, John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And as we read the rest of that chapter, which we just looked at, we see that real disciples lead others to Jesus. Did you catch that? Andrew brings Simon Peter. Philip brings Nathaniel. And they sort of echo these words of Jesus, come and see, extending this invitation to follow the Lord. 
just to be curious enough to see what it is that Jesus has to say and who Jesus is. And lastly, we see that the gospel of Jesus here in this first chapter of John is central. Hopefully you notice that. The priority and the demands of the gospel are totalizing for all of us who encounter Jesus. And what is the gospel? The word gospel uh, comes from the Greek word euangelion, which literally means good message, and it simply means good news. And here's how we've defined the good news here at Grantham Church. What is the good news? It's the gospel story of how God has been at work in the world and is now redeeming it in Jesus Christ, who will one day return to bring the fullness of the kingdom. And I think it's important that we define that and we have a a robust definition of gospel, as many have tried to reduce it down simply to say this prayer so you can have your sins forgiven and you can die and go to heaven one day. Folks, that message is actually foreign to the New Testament. That's not the way it defines the gospel for us. To be more specific, the gospel as a story encompasses the story of Israel all the way up to this point. The story of Israel, the larger biblical story and all of its characters leading to the Messiah Jesus. It's the story of Jesus the Messiah, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And of course, our hope that Christ is coming again. It's the story of what Jesus continues to do through his church as we anticipate that return. The gospel story tells us that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves, right? We cannot, um, we cannot do that. We are not our own. We're bought at a price, the gospel tells us. All those who believe and embody the good news will be saved. So it's, it's, it's good for us to have a robust understanding of what the good news actually is, what the gospel is. And then what is the kingdom? We've defined it this way, the reign and rule of God on the earth, which always looks like Jesus, loving others, just as some examples, healing, reconciling, sacrificing yourself, showing mercy, doing justice, and so forth. And this kingdom, as, as we teach in the church, is already, but it is not yet. Jesus said that. The kingdom is here, it's coming, but it's not yet. It's, it's not come in its fullness. We live in the overlap of the ages. It's so important to remember uh, as Christians. Uh, we don't need to fly away to the other side of the cosmos. That's not our destiny. And also, isn't, um, it isn't realistic to expect that the fullness of the kingdom is going to come in our day. We need Jesus to return to bring it. And so heaven is coming to earth. God's space and our space will be joined together forever in Christ's return. And we can see this. We hear this in the words of Jesus. Remember the ladder. It's it's almost a picture of what Jacob saw. Remember Jacob's ladder. Jesus says it's the Son of Man that they're ascending and descending. Jesus himself is bringing heaven and earth together. He's bringing heaven and earth together. In fact, when we look at the resurrected body of Jesus, we get this picture. This is why this is so important. It's so important for us to see that the resurrection of Jesus means this material world is good. This material world is not bound for the cosmic trash can. God is going to renew it. He's going to redeem it along with our bodies and those who believe in the good news. And we've illustrated this larger good news story this way. 
Uh, the, the top illustration there uh, is actually this popular modern version of the story, but I don't think it's accurate. <laughs> but we've been so conditioned to think of it this way. Um, even folks who would affirm what I've already said about the future of heaven and earth still use the language of that top illustration. And I think it's misleading. It's a story full of partial truths and distortions. The bottom illustration is more reflective of what the New Testament teaches about the way things are and where things are going. That God intends to consummate, that is to bring together in a marriage, heaven and earth, and rid the cosmos of hell, that is sin and death. Uh, that is hell that we have created on the earth as well as that spiritual reality. God intends to set it right. And so getting the story right matters. If we're going to tell people about Jesus, if we're going to lead people to the God who looks like Jesus, we need to understand what the gospel is and what it isn't. So this, this bottom illustration here is more true to the original good news and Christian hope, heaven and earth coming together. Why? Why do we believe that? Why would we say that? Because it's coming together and has begun to come together in the resurrected body of Jesus. And so everything that does not reflect Christ and what God intends for creation gets cast out. It gets cast out. So a reductionist gospel doesn't lead to disciples. And I can say this from personal experience, having grown up in at least half of my life in the church seeing this top illustration communicated to people, people, you will sometimes uh, conjole them and convince them to say a prayer so they don't have to die and go to hell, so they can be saved, but don't end up actually following Jesus as disciples. Folks, something is wrong with that picture. This isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card salvation. No, not at all. And so people are not grasping the whole story and what God thinks about this earth and what God intends to do with it and how it fits into the broader biblical story. All of this is important because our beliefs about the future impact us in the present. So when Paul writes these words in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, you've probably heard them. I think I made mention that this last week I referred to it. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. So look at this. Paul has in mind this robust cosmic story of God's creation, where it's come from, where it is, where it's going, which includes the fall of humanity and how Christ and the gospel is what the world needs to be healed. And it is, in fact, where the world is headed. This is God's plan and good future. This is the gospel that Paul says that he's unashamed of. This is, this is the good news, the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And so, since we're not talking about this oversimplified, reductionist view of the gospel, we have a message, a, a good news that touches every aspect of culture in our lives and has something to say about it. It has something to say about it. Therefore, our task as disciples is to be aware of our culture's objects of worship and be willing and able, you see, to engage your neighbors at those places where you see there is cultural captivity 
to sin, where they're, 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 they're enslaved to sin. They're trapped in it. They're, they're disappointed by it. They're feeling frustrated and empty and anxious about it. And while the culture's answers can't save them, and to be honest about how Jesus saved you and wants to deliver them as well. You see, in all of this, it really touches on the questions that our culture is asking. The deepest longings about identity and meaning and purpose, you see, the gospel speaks to it. It says that we were created by a loving God, and He gives us our identity and our meaning and our purpose. But yet, humanity has strayed from it. But the Lord hasn't abandoned us. That's what the Apostle Paul did and how he approached it, I believe, in Athens. You remember this, the Athens, the center of Greek philosophy and religion, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 34. You can read that story. After spending some time in Athens... Paul makes his way up to Mars Hill. It's called the Areopagus. It's where the religious philosophers and town leaders met to discuss all the latest ideas and what to believe about what, how to guide the people. And along the way, Paul, as he's making his way up to this center of the city, sees a peculiar monument, an altar, which he says is dedicated to an unknown God. So get that picture. He's walking up, he sees all of these idols, and he, what catches his attention is this altar dedicated to an unknown God. And Paul thinks, wow, that, that's my way in. You see, Paul finds an access point to share the good news with these thought leaders. Not to insult them, but to actually compliment them. And he's going to say that, isn't he? He's going to say, I see that you're very what? Religious. I see that you're so religious and so caring that you don't want to leave any gods out. You even have this statue I saw dedicated to an unknown God. And what does Paul say? I've come to tell you about that God. You see how Paul begins and he finds an access point. He begins by complimenting them and then a way to tell them about Jesus. Here's his approach that Paul models when he confronts these lost people. You recall, some of you recall seeing this uh, in our Christ and Culture series. This is how Paul shares the gospel in Athens. Notice this kingdom approach to culture. Number one, Paul enters culture and he affirms what he can. He affirms what he can. He affirms his listeners by saying, I see that you are very religious. As I said, he compliments them. And he shows his cultural fluency with them by quoting one of their own poets. He says, as some of your own poets have said, and he quotes them. So Paul was savvy with what was going on in the world and what people were singing, what people were saying. He doesn't quote the Bible to these Gentile pagans. What difference would that have made? You know, the Word of God says, well, we don't care what the Word of God is. We, we don't even believe in that. So he doesn't quote the Bible or shame them in anger. Notice that. He enters the culture, affirms what he can Number two, Paul challenges their idols in darkness by saying that this God is the God who made the world. And we shouldn't think of God as an idol made by human hands. He doesn't live in human temples. This God is above all of that. And he commands everyone to repent of their sins. And then number, number three, Paul appeals to his listeners by sharing some of the gospel story 
inviting them to a reimagined God. Tells the part of the gospel story there that they would connect with, meeting them where they are, their felt needs, you see. To speak to them about God and to reimagine God themselves, the world, and the future. And it does say that not all of them, of course, believed, but some of them did and wanted to hear Paul further. And so as I've said before, if we tried to imagine how Paul might use the same approach in our day and time, I think this is how we could begin to share the gospel in American culture. If Paul, just imagine, came to an American city and shared the gospel in American culture using the same model he used in Athens, here are some objects of worship or idols that he might address. And you just see if these resonate with you. It's like, yep, that's where our culture is at. You might imagine Paul saying, instead of, I see that you're very religious, he might say, say I see that you're very sexual and seeking fulfillment. But the gospel says that God has a specific design for human sexuality. And if not followed, it, it leads to chaos and destruction. You might also see, say this, I see that you're all about human autonomy and self-expression. But the gospel says that we're part of a community. And that we've used our freedom for evil. This is why we have all of the problems we do in the world. He might say, I see that you're very concerned about human rights and justice. But the gospel says that without God and without this belief that we're made in that God's image, well, human dignity and justice falls apart. It's just my word and opinion against yours. You might also say, I see that you create amazing technology, art, and entertainment, and sports. You know, it, it, uh, I saw this quote the other day, I can't remember who it was from, but it was something to the effect of when, when a society has lost its meaning and its purpose, when it's, when it's undergone this search for identity and we don't know who we are, we resort, resort to entertainment and pleasure to numb it. If that doesn't describe American culture, I do not know what does. So think about this. I see that you create all of these things, but Paul might say the gospel says that they can become towers of Babel. They will not bring us happiness. They will not save us. They'll not give us meaning and purpose. Lastly, you might hear Paul say, I see that you long for a sense of identity, self-worth, and purpose. But the gospel says that you need the God revealed in Jesus to tell you who you are. And through all of this, we should be able to see that it's both our words and our actions that the Spirit uses in proclaiming the good news and leading others to the God who looks like Jesus. And so let's now get even more practical with how we encounter folks who don't know Jesus and lead them to Him. In Luke 10, Jesus prepares to send out 70 disciples. Some of you remember this story. He gives them some instructions before they go. Here's the first bit of those instructions. He says, when you enter a house seeking lodging, say, peace on this house. You'll see there, I'm reading from the uh, voice translation. Verse 6, if a child of peace, that is one who welcomes God's message of peace, is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, don't worry, nothing is wasted. What is Jesus talking about? 
And how can this help us? Well, in verse 5 there, what Jesus is speaking of is a warm greeting. Greet people warmly, right? We speak kind words of blessing to people. This is what Jesus is saying. In verse 6, a child of peace. I like that translation. This is why I use the voice here. A child. Just think about a child. This person of peace is like a child. A child is teachable. A child is open. A child is about learning, listening and learning. You see, in this context, this is a person of peace who's open to you and prepared to hear the good news of the kingdom, to hear about Jesus. They are ready to hear what the Spirit will give you to say in that moment. And Jesus says, if they're not a person of peace, he calls them, well, just move on. So really, I hear this as as an invitation that we would be people of peace and that we would seek out people of peace. We would seek out a, a child of peace, people who are open to us, people who are teachable, people who are welcoming. So let's dig down even further into this and think about it like this. How can we lead others to the God who looks like Jesus and follow that pattern we saw in John chapter 1? Number one, watch for a person of peace in your life. Folks, I do this all the time. I primarily work in the church and with church people. You know this. That's, that's my calling, right, to equip the saints. But I'm always looking for people of peace who are Christians or who want to be Christians. I can't spend time with everybody in the church. So how, do, how does that work? You find the people who are open to you who are open to your influence, who want to be taught, who want to learn, who want to grow. And we do the same thing with people who aren't yet a part of the church, people who would say are lost. We look for people who welcome, who listen, and who are open to us. Uh, Mike Breen, who writes a lot on discipleship, he said, our main job is to walk through life with our eyes open and our ears listening to the Spirit as He reveals to us the person of peace that He has prepared. Number two, so we watch for a person of peace in our life, but number two, we be fully present with that person. Be fully present. That is, listen and discern how Jesus has already seen them. Remember this? In John chapter 1, he had already seen Nathanael sitting under the fig tree. The application of that is Jesus is often already at work in people's lives. What we need to do is discern how God is already at work in their lives and find the access point. Find the place in which they are open to hear what we have to bring, this good news. How is he at work in their life through their pain? How is God at work in in their life through their questions, through their search for identity and meaning? You see, once you've identified that access point, you have an open door, you can move then to number three. Invite them to come and see. Notice that's how Jesus began with them, and these are the words that they echo. Come and see. You know what? Come and see. You ever been talking to somebody that that you you gather is this kind of person of peace. They're interested, but yet maybe still a little reluctant. And after trying to explain some things to them, just say, hey, why don't you just, 
why don't you just come and see? Why don't you just maybe come to church with me? Or just open up the, your Bible. You're here, take this Bible, open it up, read the gospel, come and see, right? Let your life and your words persuade a person of peace to follow Christ. It could be a stranger, but it's often through relationships where we've built some trust with people that we have these opportunities where we can tell them about Jesus, where we can invite them to church, where we can encourage them to read the gospels for themselves. So look at that again. We're to watch for a person of peace. We're to be fully present with that person, listening and discerning how Christ is already at work in their life, finding those access points. And number three, to invite them to come and see. Taste and see, the scriptures say, that the Lord is good. That simple invitation. I'm hoping already some people are coming to your mind. Maybe family members, maybe friends, could be co-workers. Who is that person of peace that God has placed in your life? We're always to be ready, the scripture says, for this opportunity. Remember, lastly, what the apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And why does Peter say the reason for the hope that you have? We sang about this hope earlier. Why the reason for the hope that you have? Well, in the context here of Peter's epistle, these Christians are suffering. These Christians are undergoing maybe even persecution for their faith. So, so he's saying your life and your words should be a testimony to the gospel. When they look at you, they wonder, where does this joy come from? Where does this, this kindness come from? This willingness to love your neighbor and your enemies despite the hardships that you are experiencing, despite the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing. Where does this hope come from? Peter says, be prepared to give a reason. Be ready when you encounter that person of peace to tell them why it is that you believe in Jesus and why you follow him. And, and then lastly, notice to do it with gentleness and respect. That is, we are to witness to the good news with the heart of Christ. Not everyone will accept what we have to give. You'll recall that sobering story of the young rich ruler who came to Jesus wanting eternal life. And Jesus had that brief conversation there with him. He thought he had obeyed all the commandments of God. And, and Jesus looked right into the heart of this man. And it says he felt compassion for this guy. But he saw that he had an idol sitting on the throne of his heart. And he wasn't yet willing to give it up. Jesus doesn't argue with him. He doesn't debate him. He doesn't even plead with him. He lets him go. And so when you look at that passage in Luke chapter 10, you see Jesus says to knock the dust off your feet if you go. If they're not a person of peace, give them to the Lord and you continue to be faithful in following Jesus. Some are called to plant. Some are called to water. But it is God himself who causes the growth. Amen? Amen. Finally, here are some questions to help us reflect on what we've heard and, 
and then hopefully to respond to the Lord's voice this morning. Number one, would think about these with me. How is God speaking to you about growing in your ability to lead others to Jesus and to make disciples? Maybe this sort of thing just isn't even on your radar. And you know, you could be, have been a Christian for a long time, but you've not been intentional with this. I'm going to ask that you would think about this, reflect on this with the Lord. How is God speaking to you about growing in your ability to lead others to Jesus and make disciples? Number two, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, but you don't desire to lead others to Christ, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? If you claim to be a disciple, but you don't desire to lead others to Christ, why do you think that is? And then lastly, number three, who is that person of peace in your life that the Spirit is inviting you to lead to the God who looks like Jesus? Who came to your mind? Who is it? Let's go to God right now and let's pray for that person and that God would give you an opportunity to share the good news with them. Let's pray. Father, we pray for this person of peace who is in our life. Maybe we've not recognized that they are a person of peace until now, but you've placed them on our heart. You've brought them to our mind Oh, Lord, give us the ability to look upon them with compassion the way that you look upon us with compassion. God, give us the ability to extend grace and mercy to them the way you extend grace and mercy to us. Lord, now we ask that you would give us opportunity to lead this person of peace to the God who looks like Jesus. Lord, we recognize that we are simply blind beggars helping to lead others to food. Lord, we have nothing to give without you. We give them, we give them yourself. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you make a way in this coming week for us to share the good news of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.